0: Be blessed by the Divine. Thank you so much for joining this evening Nityananda Meditation on 9th of January 2020. The brain's default mode and how meditation is the antidote for this. I thank Arno Slabink for an inspirational article for this little speech that I would like to share with you. The habit of spending nearly every waking moment lost in thought leaves us at the mercy of whatever our thoughts are. Meditation is a way of breaking the spell, Sam Harris once said. What is this default mode network that makes us work on an autopilot mode? Maybe you have never heard of the brain's default network mode before, but you should be familiar with it because you are a meditator. You experience it daily. It's what you sense as the voice in your mind. It's what the American psychologist Julian Janus refers to as the bicameral mind. In his book, The Origin of Consciousness in the Breakdown of Bicameral Mind, Julian says that until recently, as just 3,000 years ago, human beings were robots acting out the will of the gods, following a voice in their heads. This is like how we live today. But in our case, the voice doesn't come from the gods. It's our inner voice. It's a voice that goes like, I don't look fit enough. The dress makes me look fat. I've done something very foolish. Oh God, this is not the way I should be behaving, etc., etc. These inner dialogues are always with us. They all come from that nagging, always-on, defeatist voice that never shuts up. In Eastern traditions, particularly in a country like India, we call this the monkey mind. I am now sure that you have heard of this phrase. The science describes that voice as the default network mode or DMN. The researchers have studied the default network mode for decades now, particularly in the last three decades. It is a group of brain regions, medial, prefrontal, cortex, posterior, cingulate, cortex and the inferior parietal lobule that are important for our survival. It's most active when we are awake. When our brain is in beta mode, in our wakeful mode, these sections of the brain, these regions of the brain are most active. When we do what human beings call thinking about ourselves, remembering the past, imagining the future, these are all the reason that this portion of the brain becomes active. Anything but being focused on what's happening at this very moment. The DMN is useful because it's involved in our memory, particularly the autobiographic, episodic memories. These are real daily memories that play a role in helping us make a model of the world, predict the future based on the past events. Perspicacity to some extent develops because of DMN. But although the default network mode is essential, it has its drawbacks. Recent research has associated diseases like depression, anxiety and schizophrenia with the DMN. Since those discoveries, researchers started looking for answers. In particular, how to reverse the effects of the DMN or even control it. What they found is that meditation could influence the default network mode of the brain. But what the research showed us is that DMN isn't designed to make us happy. It's a process of evolution perhaps. A wandering mind is an unhappy mind. A 2010 paper by Matthew Killingsworth and Daniel Gilbert described how they developed a smartphone app that asked people throughout the day what they were doing and how happy they were. Based on a quarter of a million queries post of about 5,000 people from 83 different countries, they found that people think most of their past or future. What the researchers concluded was that people end up being more unhappy if they let their minds wander. Luckily, the mind wandering isn't always on. There are times we are free of that inner voice. In particular, when we are doing something active. Something we love to do. In these moments, we feel at our best. That's when you are in flow. We have to learn to tap into flow. Flow has been quite popular in the last few decades after this wonderful book by the same name called Flow. You may know it under a different name like runner's high, being in the zone, being in the moment and things like that. If you are a player of some sports, you may know it as being unconscious. Flow is a more technical term. Science defines flow as an optimal state of consciousness. In flow, you perform and feel your best. The task you are doing absorbs you so much that everything else disappears. You may have experienced it. I am sure you have. Things like your sense of self-consciousness vanish entirely. Time dilates which is a fancy way of saying it, passes strangely. Even your decision-making happens effortlessly. Every decision and action flows seamlessly into the next. Flow is as close to picture-perfect decision-making as you can get. That's why we call it as flow. Now, to understand flow and how it works, I need to talk about neuroscience a little bit. In my past podcast sessions and speeches, I have talked about neuroscience to some extent. Because neuroscience is where things become really interesting. There are two crucial points to understand here. One, from a neuroanatomical level, we use only 10% of our brains at best. So top performance, aka flow, would mean the brain on overdrive. Turns out that is false. In flow, parts of the brain don't become hyperactive, but they actually deactivate We know the name for that state as transient, as temporary or otherwise slowing down or shutting down or called as default mode network relaxing itself. It's called hypofrontality. Frontality really refers to your prefrontal cortex or the executive function of the brain. So hypo really means that it is going down. And that frontality is where all our higher cognitive functions rest. Our sense of will, morality, a sense of self, complex decision-making, etc. All comes from our prefrontal cortex. It's what makes us human. Now in flow, that area goes quiet. That also is the reason time passes so strangely. We calculate time all over the prefrontal cortex. And your dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex, known as your inner critic, goes off. Now I think you are beginning to understand what happens when you meditate. When that happens, magic takes place. You feel instantly free of yourself. As a result, things like creativity, risk-taking go through the roof. You probably feel you are invincible. That's why flow is considered the most addictive state. The brain also produces five of the most potent neurochemicals. These are all performance enhanced neurochemicals but also feel-good pleasure drugs. I will name three of them that I'm sure you would have heard about. Dopamine, serotonin and endorphin. If you are to buy a drug version of all these chemicals together and combine them and you drink them, You may probably end up dead or in a coma, but the brain combines these neurochemicals beautifully when you are in that flow. One of these neurochemicals, which I have talked about quite often, is dopamine. Dopamine is a reward chemical. It's a neurotransmitter that gives us learning ability, creativity, motivation, reward. It makes us capable of taking in more information, process it more deeply And that's just one neurotransmitter. Imagine the effect of the rest of the chemicals. Unfortunately for us, the brain's default mode is the opposite of this enjoyable state of high focus and high performance. The good news, my friend, is that meditation is as close to flowing as you can get. Meditation is the antidote. Meditation is. The one single exercise that can change even the shape of the brain. What type of meditation? Any meditation is helpful. But the most potent meditation that can change the shape of the brain, give you favorable chemicals, help you control your default network mode of your brain, which really activates your egoistic conscious mind, the Bahu wakes up in its worst form, comes under our control when you do Kundalini meditation. Be blessed by the Divine. Thank you for being there. Thank you for your inspiration. Thank you for participating in this wonderful evening meditation.